Great, do grab your seats. Good morning and happy birthday. Happy birthday. Birthdays are good news days, aren't they? They're good news days where we take stock and we reflect and we thank. We count our blessings. We're not very good at counting our blessings, but a birthday is a good time to do that. It's been great to, for Brian and, and Ben and others to lead us in counting our blessings, to thanking God for what he has done for us. And you know, at the Gate Church, if you've been around for well, maybe this morning, but you know, even a year or more, you know that we like to celebrate our birthday. We try to make a bit of a big deal about it. We try to celebrate it. Because we want to recognise and celebrate God's faithfulness. Without him, as that song says, we'd have nothing to celebrate. We'd have nothing to gather together to talk about. There'd be nothing to enjoy together. But often, so we come together today to celebrate, and we want that to be the, the tone and the mood of what, what we're doing here together. And yet we must also acknowledge that often good news is celebrated and enjoyed, even amidst great difficulty and great trial and great struggle. So it's not as if everything is perfect for us as a church right now, is it? Again, if you've been here for more than one week, you know that very well yourself. As a church, we're certainly not yet where we want to be in the mission that God has called us on. And I guess all of us will carry various frustrations with church. And even within our church, within individuals' lives, we've even prayed into some of it today, there's great struggles and trials. And so as we come to celebrate and thank God for his goodness, we also acknowledge that it doesn't mean that we're just saying life is perfect and life is all that it could be. Today we're going we're gonna to start uh, a sixth month kind of epic journey through the Gospel of Mark in the Bible We're going to be there all the way till Easter. And and Mark gives us a good news story. A good news story for those who are living in difficult days. It's great we're starting this today, isn't it? Mark was this Christian. He was living in Rome uh, in uh, 64 AD. Okay, And uh, the thing about 64 AD that you need to know, or one really significant thing, is a guy called Nero was the emperor at the time. He was in charge. He was very powerful, the Roman emperor. And in 64 AD, uh, Nero, um, it's claimed that he started a fire, but whatever happened, the fire started in Rome. And whilst the city burned down to the ground around him, he was on his palace roof playing his violin. And after that great fire of Rome in 64, Nero needed someone to blame for this fire, and his scapegoat were the Christians who lived in Rome. They'd started to become a little bit unpopular in Roman culture at that time. And so Christians, remember this guy Mark, lived in this city at this time. They started doing things to them that were terrible, really terrible. They, they would paint them in tar, and then they would put them on these poles, in Parliament poles, and put them up in, in, in Nero's gardens, and then they would set them alight, whilst he had these great palace, uh, these garden parties and stuff with all of the great and goods. And they would kind of light up the parties. They would clothe them in, 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 the, uh, in the skins of dead animals and, and, and throw them into the Colosseum to be torn apart by lions. Just because they were Christians. And, and so Mark is living in Rome at this time and, and, and he's living with two of his uh, closest friends. These, these guys who are like fatherly figures to him. He, Mark spent the last 15 or 20 years with these guys, Peter and Paul, these early kind of leaders in the church. And Mark is there as both Peter and Paul are killed for their faith. Apparently Peter was crucified upside down. 
And, and so Mark, living in this time where it's really quite terrifying to be a Christian, it really is difficult days. Well, he decides that he's going to write down this good news story, the best news ever told. This isn't fake news. This isn't like a fairy tale or, or make-believe. No, he's retelling true events. In fact, what Mark is writing down is Peter, his friend's personal story. He's writing uh, of events that happened about 30 years earlier when Jesus was still around, Peter's friend Jesus, who he had spent so much time with. And so what Mark does, it's probably soon after uh, Peter's been, been killed. He thinks, well, we, we don't want to lose Peter's story, so I'm going to write down Peter's story so people can still uh, find out about it in the future. Don't want that to be lost. Uh, and so he probably writes it for people like us in the future. He also writes it for people around then to encourage them to stick with Jesus, to stay on mission, though it's very difficult doing so, to keep going through much suffering. So that's the story of Mark that we're going to be looking at over the next few months. We're going to dig into it in a moment. But let me say this. Mark's good news story is the very reason that we exist as a church. It's the very reason that we exist. Our very purpose, we, we say it here on, 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 on this banner here, we're all about helping people love Jesus more and more. Our very purpose is to be telling people this good news story in our local community in inner city Birmingham. It's the very reason that we came into existence as a church. It's to reach out to people with this good news story. And because 2,000 years later, after Mark wrote this, it's still great news. There is still good news to be told and to be shared. So it's for people around us, it's for our community, it's for people who aren't yet here yet, that we we hope will be here one day. But also, we big time need this good news ourselves. We need it all the time. You see, what we see as we go through Mark, and and we'll see it over and over, as even people who kind of get it, even people who are followers of Jesus, or who are friends of Jesus, or who are trusting in him, or whatever you want to say, even people who you like are Christians, can struggle to really get it. We can forget. We can misunderstand. We cannot know what it really means, who Jesus is and what he's done, how that really takes an impact and shapes our lives. And so we need this. We need this good news story these next six months. Actually, later on, we'll invite you. I don't want you to do it now, but we'll invite you to open the gifts. Everyone would love everyone uh, or every household at least to take away a gift. And when you, when you do, you'll see that it's a gift that will help you personally to remember and to enjoy, to be an addict to this good news story. Because that's what we need to help each other to do. I'm going to pray, and then we will actually open up and read from the beginning of Mark's story and just think about it together as we, as we, uh, as we get into it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that because of you we have good news. Thank you that because of you we have things to celebrate. Things that you have done in our lives, things that you have even done this year that we can thank you for and we can praise you for. But Lord, thank you that your faithfulness goes far further back than just the last year or the last week or or whatever else. But Lord, it goes right back through history, through thousands of years of history. And Lord, we thank you that Mark wrote down these things, these true things about Jesus, that we can read them, that we can think about them, that we can learn the good news, the great news that you have for us. 
Lord, would you captivate our hearts and our minds and our lives by this good news? And would we as individuals, would we as a church be so shaped by it that it does just overflow out of us to those around? That many more people come to receive this great news that you have given to us. We pray these things in, in your name. Amen. Listen, please, please grab a Bible and turn to page 1002. 2002. Mark starts with a really helpful introduction to his story, and we're just going to read literally the first, we're not even, not even going to finish the first sentence, but um, we're going to read the first verse. Here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark is just up front from the start about what he's writing about. And we're going to look into it now. We're going to look into it much more over the next six months. First of all, we need to see that he wants to grab our attention with this beginning of the good news. Literally, when he wrote it, it's just like beginning. It's how this thing starts. Exclamation mark. It's like the film that kind of starts really abruptly. You're kind of straight into the action, straight into the, the frenzy of it and everything. It's an urgent thing that he draws us into. Because he says he's got good news to share. Here it's written good news. When Mark wrote it, it was gospel is the word that he used. And at that time, gospel was a word that was used for this really important news that's going to make a big difference to your life. Gospel was when a new emperor was born or when a new emperor came to the throne and it was like the new reign of this new era. Gospel was when war had ended and people travelled around saying the, the victory is won, the battle is over. You know, news of war being over is not just good news, but it changes everything in life. It's really hard for us to understand. I don't think, any, maybe only a few of us, but not many of us have lived in wartime or in a war zone. But if you, if, if, if you had had that experience, the news that war is over is absolutely liberating. It changes everything about life. That's what gospel is. And here, as Mark writes this, this is the first time that gospel is used in this way. It's the first time that this word gospel is used about the story of Jesus. Mark is saying, my story of Jesus is the start of something new. It's the start of a a, a new kind of world-changing, life-changing reality. It's this new era, this new time of hope that is starting right here. Listen, as, as we explore, Mark, and if you come with us on the journey through it, if you don't think week after week, this is just the best thing that I have ever heard. If you're not thinking that, even if you don't believe it, if you're not thinking that, and either we're not telling it right, or you're not hearing it right, Mark is very clear, this is the best news ever. This is gospel. This is gospel. And you see what this great news is about? I mean, it's really clear. It's not some new religious system. It's not some new theory of life. It's not a new way of enlightenment or some new strict religious code or whatever else. Now he says, this is the good news about about Jesus. It's about the person, Jesus. 
Uh, and as we go through Mark, we'll see he's mostly interested in the actions of Jesus and what Jesus does uh, and who he, showing us who he is as much as his teachings, really. Uh, and straight away, Mark introduces us to the big two themes that we'll see throughout. He says here in verse 1, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So they're kind of religious terms, aren't they? And, and maybe they just kind of bounce off us a little bit. They sound like Bible words, don't they? We think, well, well like that just doesn't make much difference to me. It's just kind of Bible, Bible words. Well, over the next six months, we're going to see how meaningful it is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. How the fact that that is who he is turns our world upside down. That it is the greatest news Ever. And the rest of our time this morning, we're just going to kind of get a little, a little taster of that, that we're going to spend six months unfolding. Firstly, Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah, this is a Hebrew or a Jewish word. Uh, the equivalent word you'll also be familiar with is Christ. That's the Greek version of Messiah. Kind of mean the same thing. And, and what we need to remember is it's not like Jesus' surname or something. That's what people often think when they hear Christ. But it's like a title, like president. It's a title that someone has that describes a role that they do. And, and this title of Messiah literally means anointed one. So in, in, in the Bible, in kind of the Old Testament, in Judaism, they would anoint the king and the priest when they start their work. And the anointing would be where they kind of pour oil on them and have this ceremony to, to say, this is now your role and this is now the status that you have. They were kind of being given this task to now do for God's people, to lead them and to represent them. And, 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 a, and their anointing was saying, look, this is God who's appointing you to do this task. And, and so this promise of the Messiah with that kind of history and that culture behind it, it, it becomes about God's chosen, God himself choosing a leader to save and liberate God's people. And over hundreds of years, it kind of gathers all of this momentum and all of this meaning and this, this expectation and this hope about this Messiah, this one chosen by God to come and lead and rescue people. And so Mark starts this story, story and he says, listen, this Messiah, we've been waiting for hundreds of years. Here he is. Jesus is his name. Here is the long-awaited king. Here is the long-awaited leader of God's people. Here's the one that God has appointed to come and bring liberation for God's people. Listen, the reason that is such great news for you today, and not just a Jew back in the first century, is because Jesus, this is not a political thing. That's what they thought of it as the time, but it's not a political thing. No, the liberation of God's Messiah, the liberation that Jesus brings is much greater than that. And so as we read Mark, we see that he comes and he frees people from these terrible patterns of behavior in their lives. He, he, he comes and heals those who have been sick for such a long time and no one's been able to help them. And Jesus comes and liberates and heals them from great diseases. He, he frees those who are possessed and are trapped and have such a terrible life and he brings life to the full for them. And most ultimately and far, by far most importantly, this Messiah saves people from divine judgment and from death. What this promised king, what this promised leader comes to do is absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. He's not just God's chosen saviour for the Jews, but he is for all people. 
He's for me and he's for you. This is the Messiah that Mark is introducing us to. We'll find out more about what that means in coming weeks. But also he says that he is the son of God. You see, Jesus isn't just a man who God has chosen to rule and to rescue and to do all these great things. But no, he is the son of God. He is none other than God himself. It's not just that Jesus in some way is related to God or connected to him or something like that. But no, God, Jesus is God in human form. If you like, it's God introducing himself to us. You know, you might think if God existed, we might have to, we might have to kind of find our way to God. And, and you might think that therefore only the smartest or, or the strongest or the richest or those who are the most moral or the most devoted are the ones who could actually find their way to God. I mean, that's basically what most religions teach and tell us. But no, Jesus comes and comes from God and is God and comes and introduces God to us. So Jesus doesn't only just show us that God is real. If you doubt that, you want to look at Jesus and you see that God is real. No, but he is God himself come to us, to all of us. That's the amazing thing. Jesus is the son of God. As you read Mark's story, who would you expect him to be hanging out with? You probably expect him to be of the good and the great, the powerful and the rich, the influential. Surely that's who God would be interested in. But no, Jesus chooses to spend his time with, to reveal himself to, to heal and to teach the nobodies, the fools, those on the fringes, the poor, the weak, the ones nobody has any time with. Those are the ones that Jesus spends his time with. The Son of God comes and reveals himself to these. That's who God is with when he comes in human flesh. You see, he comes for all of us. He comes for everyday people. People like me and people like you. See, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The amazing thing about this beginning is that it continues today. It's a beginning that continues today. See, Mark isn't just saying, look, I'm just, I'm starting my story here. This is my, my opening words. Now he's saying this whole story of Jesus is a new beginning. That's why it's gospel. It's a new era. There's a new thing happening. And so Mark's good news is just as relevant today as it was the day that he wrote it. 2,000 years later, it is still great news. Mark's story is not just some kind of done and dusted history that finishes with a dead person. That's your fact. The end of Mark's story is unfinished. You've got this group of women bewildered because they've just met this risen Jesus. This living Messiah and Son of God. And it's kind of like dot, dot, dot. Story continues. This means that Jesus is alive. Jesus is still very much at work today. This new era, this new start, this new beginning goes on. His kingdom is growing, even today. Some of us might be here and we might be checking out Christianity or intrigued by Jesus. Still trying to work out whether we want to trust him or, or, or kind of we believe what he says and he's worth following. Well, if that's you, and as we go through Mark's gospel, 
Mark's going to introduce you to Jesus. And this isn't just some history regarding some kind of old, dead person. But actually, through Mark's story, Jesus will literally walk off the pages and introduce himself to you. He will offer himself to you. And the question that you're going to face week by week as we go through Mark is how are you going to respond to his offer? Maybe others of us, uh, kind of, we, we, in one sense, already get who Jesus is. We're already following his way. We, we call ourselves Christians. And, and yet, I guess all of us would experience this gap. <clears throat> this, this, <coughs> sorry. This gap between what we know about Jesus and what it looks like and plays out in our lives. I think all Christians are kind of working with a gap of some sort in that sense. And so we will see as this new beginning continues that we are not a lost cause. Sometimes that gap feels really big. And it just feels like our Christian life isn't growing and we're not going anywhere and, and we're just frustrated and we feel we should be far more radical in our faith than we are and, we, and we're not. Well, we're not a lost cause. There's new grace in this good news for us every day. There's new power in his risen life. And Mark will take us on this discipleship boot camp as we're kind of trained in what it really means for Jesus to be Messiah, to be the Son of God, in what it really means for us to be his followers and to know him and to know life in him. Mark's got so many treasures for us as we follow his story. One of the key things that we will see is that there is this surprise that unfolds as the story unfolds. And it's, it's one that we need to get to grips with. And we'll start today. It all has to do with our expectations. Our expectations of, uh, of, of Messiah and of Son of God. I wonder what, what you would be expecting of Jesus. What you'd be looking for from him. What should God be like as he shows himself to us? What, what should he offer to us? What do we think we need from him? What do we need him to give to us in our life? I remember a, a few years ago, the Queen came to Birmingham. Did people know that the Queen had been, been in Birmingham a few years back? It might have been before some of you were here. And um, anyway, she arrived to the city uh, just across the road from the office where I was working at the time. So a f- few of me and my colleagues kind of slunk out of the office, kind of past the boss, and, and kind of went, went to, to see the Queen, um, which is was quite amazing. And, and as we went out, of course, the red carpet was, was laid out. And the barriers were there, and, and the crowds were there, and there was kind of this really exciting kind of, it was kind of summertime, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of dour and raining, it was relatively warm and sunny, and everyone was excited and waving their Union Jacks and expectant and, 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 and looking forward, and, and I noticed up on top of the buildings, there are these armed police with these massive, like, guns and stuff, kind of, on all the buildings watching, and there was all these security men everywhere, kind of just looking pretty looking pretty scary, you know. There's all of that going on. And, and you can sense the, the atmosphere, the scene is set. And imagine if you're in that scene, you, you know what to expect, don't you? You know what to expect. The, the one who walks down that red carpet, you know what they look like. It'll be someone who is royal and regal and impressive and, and state-like and dignified and wealthy and powerful. You know what's coming, don't you? And you know what? She was all of those things, and yet it was still quite unimpressive. It was kind of two minutes, and she's gone. And, but, but the queen comes, and she was all of those things. 
Well, this is the similar scene as, as the Messiah is introduced. The scene is set for him. And, and, and the expectations are set, and the Jews know what to expect from the Messiah. They expect royalty and glory and wealth and military power and conquest. And, and, and kind of and everyone to bow down and Rome to be defeated and, and a strong nation state to be established. And as for this title, Son of God, well, they knew what to expect there as well. I mean, in the other culture around at that time, the kind of Greek culture, they used that name for their rulers and their philosophers, for their poets and heroes, their miracle workers. These were those who they thought of as kind of superhuman, who kind of lived on another plane above the mundane of of everyday life. We might think of our kind of Avenger-style superheroes who got their special powers and their unique abilities that kind of set them apart. What are you expecting from Jesus in Mark's Gospel? Because as Mark introduces us to the Messiah, the Son of God, we do get some of that. We get miracle after miracle. Mark has more of them than the other three Gospel writers, even though he writes the shortest Gospel. These miracles that show his authority and his power and, and uh, over spirits and demons and, and nature and sickness. And, and clearly in this, he is special and, and he is different and he is set apart. He is one of a kind. And yet as the story unfolds, we see that this, this Messiah, if you like, walks down the red carpet. It's totally surprising. It's not what we expect. So he lives his divine sonship in the midst of a troubled world. It's not like he kind of rises above it and just gets like this easy pass through life. But he walks faithfully through the trenches of life. And, and as the story kind of really progresses and we really get to grips with who this Messiah and who this Son of God is. It's not so much walking down along a nice flat red carpet. But there he is stumbling up a dry and dusty hill. There he is bloodied and bruised and beaten. Tormented as a man. It's not crowds kind of cheering cheering him on, celebrating and, and all the rest. It's crowds jeering at him, spitting at him, mocking him. He has no, no one with him, no entourage, no security protecting and looking after him. As he gets to the top of that hill, this Messiah ends up on a cross where he is hung out to die. Under God's curse, defeated by the Romans, rejected by the Jews. Bloody beaten, naked on a cross, not very royal, not very triumphant, not very dignified. Not very powerful, not successful. And it seems like he has no kingdom to speak of, not not only in that day, but quite frankly, 30 years later, as Mark writes these things. Rome is still in charge, and Rome is very much showing its power and its might against the Christians. Jesus' kingdom looks like it's nowhere. There's no golden age for Jesus' followers. It feels like they're on the wrong side of history. You think, surely, surely this can't be what you're claiming, Mark. Surely you got it wrong somewhere. This is not good news. You see, it's still today tricky for us. I mean, I know so many of you won't be surprised by anything I've said. And yet it's still tricky for us to get to grips with what this Messiah is like. 
with what, who this Son of God is and just what it looks like to follow him. You know, in, in Mark, it takes nearly three years of this intense time with these group of men and women with Jesus. Mark's given us it on verse 1. It takes three years for his closest friends to get there. We're going to get there around Christmas time. That long for these people who are just with him 24-7 to even see it. And even then we see that they don't even they have no idea what that means. No idea what that looks like. And they start to learn what it looks like to follow this Messiah. They start to see what the cost of discipleship looks like. And what it looks like to be one of his people. Here's the thing. Here's the last thing. See, Jesus, he isn't confused. He knows who he is. He knows the mission he's on. Right in the heart of of Mark's story, Jesus says this. He says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. If you like, he's kind of summarizing his very purpose, his very existence. You see, this son of God is different to what we might expect. What we might even today, even if we're Christians for many years, what we might be hoping him to be for us today. What we might be longing for in our hearts. He's different. He's one who suffers to rescue his people. He's one who serves humbly, despite his great power and authority. And he's one who lives after dying. It's only actually at the end of Mark's before a person even calls him the son of God. God does it all the way through. The demons do it all the way through. But it's right at the end of the story when a person actually acknowledges that. And then it's this hardened Roman executioner who has just murdered him. And he sees the man, Jesus, die. And he says, surely this is the son of God. It's a remarkable thing to say in that situation. We're going to get there at Easter. Take some time to discover these things. But it is incredible, isn't it? This Roman executioner was the first person to see it and to really get it and to claim it and to to say it out loud in Mark's gospel. Mark gives us it in line one. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, it's great news. It's a new beginning. Listen, it's going to take six months, and let's face it, it's going to take eternity for us to even begin to explore, to get to grips with what that means. Just how great news that is for you today and for me today of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Let's pray. Jesus, we are humbled before you. We're humbled as your people because we recognize our lowliness, we recognize our weakness, we recognize our great sin. We recognize that we are not much at all. And we also recognize how great and mighty and powerful and incredible you are. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. We thank you that you have been a different Messiah and a different Son of God to maybe we would expect or we would even hope for or we would even seek. Thank you that you have sought us out and have befriended us. Thank you that you have gone to a cross to die for our sins. Thank you that you have loved us. 
and you have rescued us. Thank you that you have called us to follow you as we try to get to grips with that every day in all of life, but particularly with Mark these next six months. Please would you help us to learn what it is to follow you, to find joy and life in this great news of this new beginning of what you are doing, of life in your kingdom. And would you liberate us and uh, just turn our lives upside down by this we pray and by the work of your spirit.